I really like that last song uh, that we sing, Behold Our God. Um, it's what we want to do when we gather together in this place. We want to see him. We want to behold him. We want to know him. And we want to see him as he has shown himself to be. Not, not as we would like him to be. We want to behold our God in his love, in his mercy, in his grace. We want to behold him in those things. We also want to behold him in his justice, in his righteousness, in his power, and even in his wrath. That's what we're going to talk about for the next several weeks. Brad talked about it last week. I'm going to talk about it this week. And on and on for several weeks, we will talk about the wrath of God. And Jason has a tremendously difficult job uh, during this period of our study of Romans. There aren't a lot of songs, popular songs at least, about the wrath of God. Um, we don't typically sing songs to him about his wrath, but his wrath is real. It's part of who he is, and we're going to talk about how important it is to understand the wrath of God, to behold God as a God of wrath and of grace, a God of wrath and of mercy. And we're going we're gonna to see, we're going to see the gospel stand out on this dark backdrop of the wrath of God. Last week, Brad preached, did a fantastic job, at least according to his notes and the reports that I've heard. I didn't get to hear it, but I read his notes. And if what came out of his mouth was anything like what was on the paper, it was dynamite. Um, and, and I've heard that it, that it was. And I appreciate him. I appreciate Joe and Kelly and Jason. Appreciate all these folks who are here who serve you. It's good to know um, that, that this thing doesn't revolve around me. Aren't you glad for that? I'm, I'm glad for that. Um, it's good, good to be able to step away, and, and you guys don't miss a beat. That's a fantastic thing. Pray for Brad. He is away this week at a camp in, near Caven Rock, um, leading, leading a bunch of teenagers, a team from First Baptist and some other places is there leading. Um, Brad at the helm of that ship this week, and so you pray for them, uh, that they'll be used of God, that, that God will speak to the hearts of teenagers that they're, they're speaking to this week. Do you have your Bibles this morning? Romans chapter 1 is where you need to go. Last week, Brad preached through a very interesting transition in Romans. It's unexpected. It's abrupt. Paul has been talking about good news. He's been alluding to salvation uh, that is available in Christ. He's been talking about his desire to preach this good news in Rome and then beyond Rome to Spain. We know that that's his desire. And you would expect in the next breath he would begin to articulate the greatness of this good news. He would begin to talk about God's uh, mercy and his love and his grace. And he'd be, begin to talk about themes of forgiveness and reconciliation. But he doesn't. He doesn't go that way at all. Instead, he goes into the dark cloud of God's wrath. And he doesn't just go there as a side note. He doesn't just go there for a little while. He goes there and camps out in that dark place for a long time. In fact, it is not really until the middle of chapter 3 that we will come back out into the fullness of the light of God's grace. We will talk at length about the wrath of God, and it is important. This is dark. This text, and for the next month or two, is going to be dark, but it is necessary. As we talk about the wrath of God and the depravity of man, the corruption of man, it is unpopular. But it is true, and, and we must go there. We must go there. Listen to the words of some scholars talking about this section of Romans. One said, the gospel is necessary because of the wrath of God. If it weren't for the wrath of God, we wouldn't need the gospel. Another says, nothing keeps people away from Christ more than their inability to see their need of him or their unwillingness to admit it. We're going to talk a lot about the need of the people around us, the need of some people in this room, the need of every single one of us for the grace of God that is available in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Another preacher said, one can grasp the greatness of salvation only when we grasp the devastation we brought by sin. Another says, until a person knows he is a sinner, he cannot appreciate. Remember talking about that? About four weeks ago, we talked about how important it is to understand and appreciate the gospel. This man said, one can grasp this, uh, until a person knows he is a sinner, he cannot appreciate the gracious salvation God offers in Christ Jesus. Paul followed the basic biblical pattern, first law and condemnation, then grace and salvation. That's not the way we like to travel, is it? It's not the way we like to preach. We like to go straight to grace and salvation, right? But Paul follows the biblical pattern of law and condemnation and then grace and salvation. And we are going to walk down that path for quite some time. And listen to this last guy. This is fantastic. He says, no one can fully appreciate the good news of God except against the backdrop of our guilt before God. The good news is an announcement to people who universally are under the indictment of God and exposed to his wrath. People today are not particularly concerned about the gospel because they do not know anything about the law of God and they are not at all familiar with the revelation of his wrath. If people were sensitive to the manifestation of God's anger toward them, they would be so moved by enlightened self-interest that they would flee as fast as they could to hear the gospel. But their necks have become so hardened, their hearts so calcified that they have no fear of God. People do not believe in God's wrath. They think he is incapable of it. They listen to preachers everywhere tell them that God loves them unconditionally. And when they hear that, they see no reason to fear his wrath. We have every reason to fear the wrath of God. Brad taught you last week that God's wrath is real and we deserve it. He taught you last week that God has revealed himself in such a way that we can know, that we do know that there is a creator. And if there is a creator, then we are accountable to him. If there is a creator, we are accountable to him. The wrath of God is real. We all deserve it. And then he talked by way of application like this. He said, what are you going to do about taking the gospel to the lost people who stand condemned, who stand under the wrath of God, who are around here and billions of them scattered across the planet? What are you going to do about taking the good news to them, the gospel to them? Anything? Give? Pray? Go? Nothing. John Piper says there are two kinds of people, three kinds of people, zealous senders, zealous goers, and disobedient. Which are you? Are you a sender, are you a goer, or are you a rebel? And then finally, Brad talked about how we were created to worship the creator. And then he asked this question, are you doing that? Are you worshiping God? Or are you an idolater like so many, like so many of our neighbors so many of our friends, are you an idolater? This week, we're going to move on to the next logical step in the manifestation of God's wrath. This terrible phrase, he gave them over, will keep coming up over and over and over again. It should send chills up your spine. It should cause tears to come to your eyes. God gave them over in the lusts their heart to all manner of sin it's chilling and we've lost the true meaning of that phrase the basic idea that we'll discuss today is that the present manifestation of the wrath of god against the great sin of idolatry is sin the brad talked last week about the great sin of idolatry that that although they knew god they did not worship him as god but they became futile in their speculations their foolish heart was darkened they worshiped and served the 
creature rather than the creator, right? Talked about this great sin of idolatry. And what Paul is going to say in the text today is that because of that great sin, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against that sin in the form of more sin. So we want to think in two categories today when we think about sin. In my notes, I wrote sin with capital S-I-N and then sin with lowercase S-I-N. That the capital sin is idolatry. And really every other specific sin that we commit on a regular basis that we could put in a laundry list of sins flows out of that one primary sin. The sin of not acknowledging God and worshiping Him as we should. The sin of suppressing the truth of God and exchanging the truth of God for a lie. And all of our other sinning, whether it be homosexuality, which we'll talk about at great length today, or lying or cheating or adultery or whatever that other sin is in your life, it is flowing out of idolatry. It is flowing out of a refusal to worship God and honor Him as He deserves. So we want to think in those two categories today. We also want to think in two categories about the wrath of God. We want to think like we usually do about the wrath of God that is to come. That there's coming a day when the Lord Jesus will return. And he returns to deliver his people. To rescue his people and to bring them out and to take them home. But he also returns to bring judgment on the world. In fact, the picture in Revelation is that he rides in on a white horse with a sword that comes out of his mouth. And with that sword, he slays the nations. So we think about the wrath of God as a future thing, and we should, because Scripture talks about it as a future thing. But we need to start to think about the wrath of God as a present reality. I believe that's primarily what this text is about. He says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Not will be revealed from heaven, but is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. There is a present element of the wrath of God against the sinfulness of man, and it is in the form of giving men over to their sinful desires. So basically, when we look around and we see the downward spiral of our culture and our society, as we see sin being normalized and accepted more and more every day, we should be chilled, not because that is building up wrath of God for the future, but because that is evidence of the wrath of God in the present. That part of what the wrath of God against sin looks like is giving people over to more sin. And we're living there. We're living there. Paul is writing Romans probably from Corinth, capital of sin in the ancient world. He's writing it to Rome, the secondary city for sin in the ancient world. He's writing this letter in a culture that is not altogether different from ours. This word is relevant to us today. We can see this kind of stuff all around us, particularly with the issue that we're going to talk about today. It is all over the place. So... Think about sin in two categories, the great sin and then the specific sins that flow out of that great sin. Think of wrath in two different categories, future sin, I mean future wrath that is to come and present wrath that is being revealed from heaven now against unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. Look at the text in Romans chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 18 where Brad preached from. Read that because it sets the stage for the text that we'll look at today. This is God speaking. Who can question any of his words? You sang that a minute ago, right? Who can question any of his words? Who can teach the one who knows all things? There are a lot of people in a lot of churches today. 
gathered, just like we are today. A lot of people in a lot of churches thinking they can question his word, this particular word on a day like this. That they somehow know better than God about sexuality and sin and wrath. Foolish. Nobody knows. Nobody knows better than him. He has spoken, and that settles it. We believe in the word of God here, right? We believe it is authoritative, right? We submit ourselves to the truth of God as revealed in his word and listen to what he says today. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged, that's an important word, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, this is where we'll start today, therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Let's pray. God, we want to know you. We want to know you as you have revealed yourself. We don't want to be idolaters in this place today. We don't want to be idolaters who create a God taking portions of scripture, portions of the revelation, and putting them together while ignoring other parts. We don't want to be idolaters who create a God to worship. We want to be worshipers of you as you have revealed yourself to be. Give us an understanding of your wrath. Give us fear of your wrath. Help us to see this dark cloud so that we will see the glory of the gospel more clearly, so that we will be compelled to preach the gospel more boldly in the midst of the darkness. But I pray today that you teach us not just about future wrath, wrath that is to come, but present wrath that we are living in the middle of. And God, I pray that as much as you teach us about wrath today, you teach us about the rescue from wrath rescue from wrath and the death, burial, resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need your help today to think properly about these things. We need your help today to apply these truths to our lives. We want, we want to be submissive to your word today. We don't want to try to manipulate your word into our culture. 
to accommodate your word into our culture. We want to let your word reign over all of our lives. And we want to be submissive to it. You have spoken. It settles it. Help us to live with that posture. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so look in verse 24. In verse 24, the very first word is maybe the most important word of the verse. It is the word, therefore. So important because we see the logical flow of Romans. All of Romans is going to be like this. It is so tightly knit, so tightly packed together. In fact, later on in the letter, he's going to begin to anticipate objections. He's going to make a point and he's going to say, oh, but some of you are going to say this. And then he answers that point and it is just, it is a masterpiece of logic and argument. And even chapter one flows very logically. So what he's going to say in verse 24 builds on what he said in verse 23. And even before that, as he began to talk about this great sin, this great sin of idolatry, that God has made himself known. He's not just made himself knowable. He's made himself known. Men knew him. They knew him. They saw him. But rather than worship him as they should, they suppressed that truth. They put it down and they sat on it. They kept it down and exchanged that truth for a lie. And instead of worshiping and serving the creator, they worshiped and served the creation. You get that? That's the great lie. And he says, because of that, because of that great sin, here's what's going to happen. Because of that, therefore, he says, therefore, he says, God gave them over. Gave them over. I want to stop there and I want us to notice that the pronouns in this passage are plural. It doesn't say he gave him over or you over. It's all plural. God gave them over. And we need to think about this passage, and we need to think about its talk about the present manifestation of the wrath of God in a corporate sense, in a cultural sense, in a sense of society, rather than individually. And I believe there are some individual implications here. There are some individual applications, and we'll get to that at the end of the text today. But by and large, he is talking to a city. He's talking to the world because this whole section of Romans, the purpose of this whole section of Romans is to show that the whole world stands condemned because of its sin. That the whole world stands condemned and in need of a savior because of its sin. And so he's not going to point the finger at any one individual in this text, although God through this text might point his finger at you as an individual. And that would be perfectly appropriate for him to do. But Paul is looking at the world. He's looking at the city and he's saying God gave them over. And so the primary application needs to be corporate. It needs to be social. One scholar called this phrase, God gave them over. He called these words, words of doom. Words of doom. And it sounds so benign. It sounds so simple. God, God gave them over. He just, he just gave them up. He just handed them over. But it is terrifying. It is a terrifying reality in which God is the actor. It's not as if God just takes his hands off. It is God giving people into their sin. It is active judgment. It is active wrath from God against sin. He gave them over. Now, sure, there is an element where he does withdraw himself, but it is in response to people's sin, the great sin of idolatry. He says, if that's the way it's going to be, if that's what you want, there you go. Have it. Have it. And he gives them over in their sin. Gives them over to an ever-increasing cycle of sin. Sin 
least a sin, at least a sin, at least a sin. How many of you have experienced that in your life? Sin that breeds sin, that breeds sin, that breeds sin. Because the wrath of God is against sin. God is active in this. He is not passive. We don't just fall naturally deeper into sin. God is doing this as wrath against our sin. But he is not pushing us into something that is not already in our hearts. Notice in the text it says, he gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity. It's not as if God in his wrath of handing us over creates new sinful tendencies in our hearts. No, those sinful tendencies are already there. Notice he says he gave them over in the lusts. In the lusts of their hearts, those lusts were already there. He didn't create sin in you. He just handed you over to what was already in your heart, what was already in the dark recess of, of your heart, places where he was restraining you to go before, places where he was restraining our culture to go before. He's now let go. He's given us over to those things, things which were not spoken of in generations past are now not only spoken of, but embraced without hesitation. Therefore, the text says, because of this great sin of idolatry, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity. That word impurity there is a, it's a pretty general word. A general word to talk about sexual impurity, physical impurity. It seems at this point that he's talking about sexual sin in general, but we know that's not the case because he's going to elaborate a little bit further later on. Look what he says. So that gave them over, gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. It's because of idolatry, because of the great sin of idolatry, God gave them over to sexual sin. Now look what happens in the next verse. This is very important. The next verse starts with the word for. It's very similar to verse 24 when it says therefore. I want you to see that Paul's going to do this in verses 24, 25, and 26. He's going to pack this action that God is taking, the wrath of God that is being revealed against ungodliness, the wrath of God which is handing us over to our sin. He's going to pack the logic all around it. He's going to say this is not some kind of arbitrary decision God has made. He's not on a hair trigger. This is well-founded, righteous wrath that is coming upon you for good reason. He says, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. That sounds a lot like verse 23, doesn't it? Verse 23 says, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Verse 23 sounds like idolatry. Verse 25 sounds like idolatry. And he says that verse 24 is the result of that idolatry. They did this, therefore God gave them over, and he gave them over because they were doing, they were, they were idolaters. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Notice in verse 25, he says, they exchanged the truth for a lie. What lie do you think he's talking about there? What is the lie? It's the same lie that Satan told in Genesis chapter 3, isn't it? I think Brad talked about this a little bit. Go to Genesis chapter 3 and, and look at this lie that Satan tells. Look at this lie that we are willing to trade for the truth. Before chapter 3, God has spoken to Adam, spoken to Eve, and he's told them the truth, right? You eat from 
any tree you want except that one. And if you eat from that one, you'll die. What is that? That's the truth, right? Satan comes in in chapter 3 and tells them a lie. And watch what they do. They exchange the truth for the lie. And that's what we do all the time. That's what our culture is doing all the time. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? I'm telling you, that is the question. That is the question that is being raised in churches all over the place, in our culture all over the place, with regards to the issue of homosexuality. Did God really say homosexuality is a sin? It's the same thing, same, same lie going on. Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you will not die. You will not surely die. What is that? It's a lie. You will not surely die. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's a lie. Right? You'll be like God. You'll be like God. You'll be God. That's the, tr that's the lie that we have exchanged the truth for. God is God. He's in charge. He is good. He is for us and not against us. That's the truth. And the lie is that we are God, and we know best, and we can handle this. And our culture and the world today has exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And look at the result. It says in verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together made themselves coverings. And it all goes downhill from there, doesn't it? It's all broken after that. Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. I think I like the last part of verse 25 a lot. Worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. It's like this little doxology in the midst of all of this darkness. This little doxology where Paul says, the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. I don't know if it's a question. I don't know if it's a statement. But he is saying that God is to be blessed. Now, there are some people that will say, well, Paul says this so that he can distance himself from the world who is not worshiping God as they should, from the idolaters who are exchanging the truth of God for a lie. And he's basically saying, not me, not me. I'm saying he is blessed forever. I'm going to worship him because he is the creator and I'm going to serve him. Amen to that, right? There's some people that say Paul is trying to distance himself from the world by saying this. There are other people that would say that Paul is just giving us a... a taste of the light which is to come that in the midst of this dark cloud we see one tiny ray of light shining down in the midst of this darkness and it is this that the way out of this wrath the way out of this darkness the way out of this judgment is to worship God as he deserves to be worshipped it's just a small it's just a small little ray of light he doesn't elaborate much on the gospel he doesn't talk about Jesus in this passage but he does give us this ray of hope for some of us, we need, to, we need to chase after that little ray of hope. For some of us, that will sustain us through the rest of this darkness. 
Paul says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Look at verse 26. Verse 26 starts with another logical phrase, for this reason. For this reason, because of their idolatry. You see how this is going? He's not saying God is on a hair trigger with his wrath. He's not saying he's arbitrary with his wrath. He's saying his wrath is right and good and well-founded. It is because of idolatry. It is because of exchanging the truth of God for a lie that God is handing people over to their sin. And it gets more specific in verse 26. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. Degrading passions. Some of your translations say shameful lusts. One scholar says sexual sin is a consequence or an outworking of the rejection of God and a failure to honor him. The fundamental sin is a failure to worship him and all other sin is a consequence of this one. So I want you to get that. I want you to get that today, especially as we are right on the edge of talking about homosexuality for a while. I want you to see clearly that homosexuality is not the primary problem in Romans chapter 1. I want you to know that homosexuality is not the primary problem in Illinois. Homosexuality is not the primary problem on this planet. Idolatry is the problem. Homosexuality and all other manner of sin flows out of idolatry. You got that? Because we don't want to make the mistake that the world says that we are making in saying that homosexuality is the chief of sins and that homosexuals are the chief of sinners. I know who the chief of sinners is. It's me. It's me. We want to understand this passage in its context. And Paul says that it's because of idolatry. It's because of the exchange of the truth of God for a lie that God gave them over to degrading passions. And notice where he starts when he starts talking about homosexuality. He says, for their women. Their women. Some of your translations say, even their women. And that's the force of what Paul is saying here. Because in Roman culture, in Paul's day, it was pretty common for men to be involved in homosexual behavior. To have relationships with all kinds of people. But women have always been cleaner, right? Women have always been more prudent, right? You don't agree with me on this? Women have always been a little more civil and good. Write this down. I'm giving you gold here. <laughs> Paul says because of their idolatry, even their women, even their women were involved in this. And that's where he starts. And look at the language he uses. Even their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. I think that phrase is the key to unlock this whole passage. Their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. Because that word exchange keeps coming up. He says in verse 23, they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man. He says that idolatry is an exchange. Idolatry is an exchange. The glory of God for the glory of the creation. In verse 25, he says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. That idolatry is ultimately an exchange. And here he says that God gave them over to homosexuality, which is an exchange. It's an exchange of what is natural for what is unnatural. You see, the reason why Paul uses homosexuality here in specific to illustrate his point is because it's the best illustration of the point he's trying to make. He is saying in this passage that you were created, you were created to worship the creator. You were created to honor him as God. 
It's obvious. It's obvious. Just look around. People are dying. People are dying for something to worship. And they seek after all kinds of things and they all fall short. You're created to worship him. But instead of worshiping him, what you were created to do, you've exchanged that for something else. Something altogether different. And rather than worshiping and serving the creator, you worship and serve the creature. Instead of believing the truth, you believe the lie and it's this backwards exchange. And the reason why he talks about homosexuality here is not because it's a worse sin than lying or a worse sin than adultery. He's saying it's, it's unnatural. In fact, that's the language he uses over and over and over again. He says they exchanged the natural function for the unnatural, just like idolatry. He says homosexuality is a parallel to idolatry, and so it only fits that because of idolatry, God gave them over to homosexuality because it's an exact parallel. It is obvious that men were created to have sexual relationships with women. It's obvious, right? Like it doesn't take a, a scientist to figure that out. It's clear. Just like it's clear that God created everything that exists and we should worship him, it's clear. But instead, instead of doing what is clear, instead of just opening our eyes and seeing and worshiping him like we should, we've exchanged what is so obvious and so clear for something that is manufactured and false, a lie, in the same way that's happened in, in sexual relationships. Instead of opening your eyes and saying, that, that doesn't work, that doesn't even make sense. Instead of seeing it that way, the way that is obvious, we've exchanged what is natural for what is unnatural. And it is the wrath of God. It is the wrath of God. He has given us over to that. I believe that this phrase, the women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural, is the reason, is the reason why Paul talks about homosexuality here. Because it is the illustration of the sin of idolatry in the flesh. Look at verse 27. He doesn't stop with the women, though. He says, even the women are doing this. And in verse 27, he talks about the men. In the same way, the men also abandoned the natural function of the woman, right? Abandoned the natural, the thing that makes sense, they abandon it. And the next phrase he uses is very interesting. He says, and burned in their desire toward one another. Burned in their desire toward one another. This is an interesting phrase because he's used it before. He's used it before in talk about a natural relationship. A godly relationship. He says, listen, if you don't have self-control, if you don't have self-control, it's better for you to marry. It's better for you to get married than burn with passion, right? You remember that? First Corinthians, he talks about that. It's better for you to marry than to burn with passion because, because there is a natural, biblical outlet for that desire. But the picture he paints here with homosexuality is there is no biblical outlet for that desire. He says God gave them over to this passion that there is no reasonable outlet for. They've got a passion that is unnatural. You've got a natural passion, you get married. <laughs> and you satisfy that desire within the confines of marriage. If you've got this unnatural passion, there's no, no good way, no outlet for that that is not condemned in Scripture. He says, in the same way, the men also abandoned the natural function of a woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men. I'll stop there and tell you a little bit about the Greek language there. He doesn't use the word men and women in this passage. He uses male and female exclusively. Male and female exclusively. A clear reference to anatomy. A clear reference to the physical 
makeup of people. He's not talking about men and women. He's talking about males and females. That's the language that he uses here. He says males with males. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense logically and naturally. He says males with males committing indecent acts. And then he says receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. This may be a reference to specific issues that are common amongst amongst homosexuals. Physical issues, diseases, and things like that. It may be a reference to emotional breakdown and relational breakdowns that are common amongst homosexuals. But I think it's probably more likely a general reference to the pattern that Paul is establishing. If their error is exchanging the truth of God for a lie, exchanging the truth for a lie, then homosexuality is a proper penalty for that. It's an exchange that is similar to the idolatry exchange. It fits, makes sense, that if this is the primary sin, then this other sin goes right along with it. I think both options are probably valid. So here's the application. Look around. Look around at our culture today. We doing all right? Our society, our families, our churches, things on the up and up? Good times are coming? No, it seems like we're on a downward spiral, wouldn't you agree? We're not done. We're not, we're not, we're not done. Look around. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. The normalization of homosexuality in our culture is not just incurring the wrath of God for the future, it is the wrath of God in the present, and it is a result of idolatry. So when we hear on the news that states are legalizing gay marriage, our hearts should break. Our hearts should absolutely break, not just because of the wrath to come, but because of the wrath that that is. of their hearts it is the wrath of God and a result of idolatry the wrath of God is all around us the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven all around us all the time and there's only one escape from the wrath of God isn't there one escape from the wrath of God what is it it's the grace of God the only escape from the wrath of God is the grace of God and where is the grace of God available only in Jesus Christ right So if we look around at our city and we see the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, what should we do? Should we distance ourselves and say, I don't want want to get caught up in that wrath. I want to to hide from it. Is that what we should do? No, we should run to them, right? We should run to them and preach the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ because it's the only deliverance from the wrath of God that is to come and it is the only deliverance from the wrath of God that is presently being revealed. So all of this talk about wrath of God should compel us to preach the gospel, right? Not just to say, and there is a, there is a tendency in all of us to say, glad I don't have to worry about that. Sure, all this talk about the wrath of God, I sure am glad I don't have to worry about it. I'm glad I don't have to worry about the wrath of God, but I am terrified that people I love, people I love have to worry about the wrath of God. Not just now, but for eternity they have to worry about the wrath of God. Billions of people across the planet haven't even heard of the grace of God and are under the wrath of God, and they are without excuse. So when we think about the wrath of God, what do we do? We take the grace of God into that wrath, and we preach the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? 
It's only one, one way to experience the grace of God, and that's by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Are you believing in Jesus Christ? Are you preaching this hope with urgency? Paul's point in Romans chapters 1 to 3 is to build a sense of urgency in us to preach the gospel. Now, application number two is about homosexuality. I want to be very careful as I talk about this today. I want you to hear me clearly say that homosexuality is a sin. It is an unavoidable fact that the Bible says that homosexuality is a sin. All efforts, and there are a lot of them, all efforts to avoid this are absolutely ridiculous. To say that Paul didn't understand human sexuality. No, God understood human sexuality. And this is not Paul's word to the Romans. This is God's word, right? To try to build these arguments that what he means by natural is, is natural to you. And so, so if you're born with homosexual nature, then for you to be heterosexual is unnatural and therefore sinful. But for you to be homosexual is natural and therefore it's fine. Phooey! We're all born messed up. All of us born messed up. Happened in Genesis chapter 3. That doesn't make it right. If I am born with a proclivity, proclivity, is that the right word? Toward alcoholism, it doesn't make it right for me to drink myself to death. Drunkenness is still sin, even if it's natural for me. It is unavoidable, unavoidable fact that the Bible says homosexuality is a, is a sin. It is a sin, however, not the sin. It's not the worst sin. And we have done ourselves as a church no favors by talking about it like it is the sin, the worst sin, the only sin, the sin that we harp on all the time. I hope I've shown you today that the reason why Paul talks about it is not because it's worse than the others, but because it's a better picture of the exchange that's going on in idolatry. One scholar said this, and I love it. He said, active homosexual sex as a settled, unrepentant pattern of behavior is indicative of an attitude of rejection of Jesus' lordship and leaves people outside his kingdom. That's clear in scripture. My, the, my favorite part of that quote, though, is the last five words. It leaves them outside of his kingdom, though never outside his reach. Never outside his reach. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 to 11, Paul talks about a lot of kinds of sin. He says, don't you know that adulterers and idolaters, and homosexuals, and liars, and on and on, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And he says, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. An active life of homosexuality puts you outside of the kingdom of God, but not outside of his reach. Who can change anyone? Who's done it? Hundreds of people in this room have been changed by the power of God. If you're here today and you are engaged in a homosexual lifestyle, I want you to hear me clearly. What you are dealing with is not a sickness. What you're dealing with is not a sickness, it's a sin. And that's good news in some ways because there are certain sicknesses to which there is no remedy. There are certain diagnoses, sicknesses, where there's no hope terminal homosexuality is not sickness it is sin 
And there's a remedy to sin. There's a remedy to sin. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's grace and forgiveness and repentance and change. A new heart. Scripture says if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is gone. Behold, new things have come. If we are in Christ, we, we have power over the penalty of sin. The power of sin. And the presence of sin. Homosexuality is not sickness, it's a sin. And thank God there is a remedy to sin in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you're struggling, you're struggling with same-sex attraction, you haven't, act, you haven't acted upon it, but you're struggling with this, trying to figure out what your identity is, as your pastor, let me say, keep struggling. That's what a life following Jesus looks like. Struggle by his grace, by his power, by faith. Struggle against your sin because you've already been given victory over it. Don't give in. Don't buy this lie that you were born this way and therefore it's okay. Maybe you were born this way, but we were all born sinners and it's not okay. So if you're here today and you're struggling, struggle. Take it to the Lord. Bring some brothers, sisters around you and say, this is what I'm struggling with. Help me struggle. Don't just give in. That goes for any kind of sin that you're struggling with, right? You don't just give in to it. You don't just give in to it because maybe you're wired that way. No, struggle. Struggle and fight against your sin. John Piper says, make war. Make war against your sin. Don't just give in. If you're here today and you're struggling with same-sex attraction, keep struggling by God's grace. Know that inclination towards sin is not sin. An inclination towards sin is not sin. An inclination toward drunkenness is not sin. Drunkenness is sin. An inclination toward lying is not sin. Lying is sin. An inclination toward homosexuality is not sin. Homosexuality is sin. You tracking with me on this? We all have inclinations. We all have bents in our lives. Inclination toward sin is not sin. An inclination towards sin does not make sin inevitable. I, Joe, Joe gave his testimony a couple weeks ago. Joe Jackson did. He talked about the struggles that he has in his life. Struggles that by God's grace he is overcoming. He is in recovery from. And one of them was alcoholism. And he, he identified himself that way as someone who struggles with alcoholism. And then at the end of his talk he said, I've been sober for 15 years. What? That's incredible. That means that, that, that an inclination towards sin does not make sin inevitable. We fight against it. So if you're here today and you're struggling with that, fight against it. Bring some brothers in to fight with you. Last application is for the church. We've got to preach the gospel with humility and compassion. We can't say that the gospel is for us but not for them because they are this or they are that. They are homosexual or they are adulterous. We cannot say that the gospel is for us and not for them because the gospel, the gospel is for everybody or it's for nobody. One preacher said it this way, we only grasp the gospel when we understand that we are the worst sinner we know and that if Jesus came to die for us, there's no one he would not die for. I'm the worst sinner I know and if Jesus came to die for me, he'd die for anybody. And this sets us free. The guy goes on and says, this sets us free to love our neighbor. This sets us free to preach the gospel to all kinds of people. Because we are all kinds of people. We are the most undeserving of God's grace. 
So church, we've got to preach the gospel with compassion and kindness and love. Not picking and choosing who hears because of the particular sin that they are involved in, but preaching the gospel to all kinds of people. Because the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Let's stand together and pray. God, help us to see today your wrath all around us. Help us to see that there is wrath to come and there is wrath revealed here and now. Help us to know that there's only one escape from your wrath and that is your grace. Help us to know that there's only one way to experience your grace and that is by faith in Jesus Christ. God, I pray for folks who are in this room today who are outside of your grace. They are under your wrath. People in this room, people in this town, people on this planet who are outside your grace and under your wrath. Help them to see Jesus as propitiation for their sins. Help them to see Jesus as the substitute who died in their place. Help them to see Jesus as the Savior, the rescuer from the wrath of God. Help them to repent, to turn away from sin, and to believe, to trust in Jesus for salvation. God, change people. Make them new creatures today. And God, for your church, those of us who are in your grace, saved from your wrath, help us to preach Jesus as the only hope. And help us to preach with urgency to a world that is not only awaiting wrath, but experiencing wrath. God, I thank you that you have delivered us. And we pray that you use us as you deliver more people. God, I pray for I pray for folks in this room who are struggling with same-sex attraction. They, they can't explain it. They don't, they don't know where it's come from. God, help them struggle. Help them fight. Help them make war by your power, by your strength faith in grace you make war against sin God bring brothers and sisters alongside of them to help for accountability and encouragement and rebuke when necessary help them see that an inclination towards sin is not sin and that an inclination towards sin does not make sin inevitable help us all to fight not to give in grace, through faith, to fight and live for you always. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song.